Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on a Monday evening as we are less than 24 hours away from Game 6 of the NBA Finals as the Milwaukee Bucks look to close out the series and win their first championship since 1971 against the Phoenix Suns. Um, of course, the Bucks are coming off that dramatic win in Game 5. Um, as we've gotten now, you know, a couple of days removed from that game five, which was, you know, one of the best playoff games of, of these playoffs. I'm not going to call it one of the great finals games of all time. We'll just slow down with that. But definitely one of the, the games of the year as far as the, in terms of the 2021 playoffs. Uh, tremendous game. And now you got to, you know, kind of be time to catch our breath from that. I was looking at this series uh, looking at some numbers and some stats from this series and some trends that have leaned definitely towards uh, Milwaukee's way since um, this game one. Um, look at the way a couple of things here. You look at, and this is, you know, this is one of these things, I guess. Uh, I don't know if every series has something like this where, where you see trends, but the winner of the second quarter has won every game. The winner of the second quarter has won every game. Um, and really, you look at the series, the series has been decided by an individual quarter. And a lot of that, more and more times than not, it has been the second quarter. Uh, game one, Phoenix outscores Milwaukee by like 14. Outside of that, Milwaukee won the rest of the game as far as outscoring Phoenix, outscoring Phoenix. But of course, that, you know, they couldn't make up that differential of uh, being, you know, minus 14 in that second quarter. Um, game two, you know, game um, in, in game two, game three. Well, game two was really these again. I think I think game two was also the second quarter that was the difference um, in that uh, in that series. Really, the first three games, the second quarter was the uh, decisive decisive quarter. Um, and look at what happened transpired in game five. You know, Milwaukee puts forty three points on the board and and wins the second quarter. So uh, that has been it has been you know even more important in the fourth quarter and for what, you know, for whatever reasons, um, you know, you can't put your finger on why there's, you know, you can look at, you can look at adjustments. You can look at foul trouble. There are certainly a number of factors that can go into that, but for whatever reason, the second quarter of this year, of this game of the series has been the most important quarter in, uh, each game. Um, also, again, the Suns have won. Well, and I'm, I'm, I was wrong here. The Suns haven't won every first quarter of each game. They, but they have cumulatively outscored Phoenix in the first quarter. So, so for the most part in this series, Phoenix has controlled the first quarter of these games, but have been outscored cumulatively after uh, from quarters two to four by the Milwaukee Bucks and. You know, that's kind of how this series has gone as far as when you look at, you know, Phoenix jumping out two games to nothing. And then Milwaukee basically slowly starting game two, starting really at really starting in the second half of game two, slowly walking um, 
Milwaukee, walking Phoenix down, and which gets us to the point where we're at right now in terms of them being up three games, um, three games to two. Booker and Aiden have a net rating of a hundred. What that means is that is when when they are when they are on the court, they are out when they are on the court versus when they are off the court. So their net rating is a hundred plus a hundred, that is. So they which tells you how tells you how important they both those guys have been. Um over the course of this series, in particular the last part of the series, we remember Game Four um, when Aiden was, you know, when Aiden got in foul trouble. Uh, but you know, not Game Four, excuse me, Game Game Three when Aiden was off the court with the foul trouble, and Giannis goes, you know, he has a second straight 40-40, not 40-10 game, basically a uh, uh, forty-point game. That was a vital factor in terms of Giannis getting off in that in, in that particular game, and the Booker minutes where he's been off the floor have been disastrous for the Phoenix Suns. Like, and which which is one of the reasons why you have a lot, a lot had a lot of people questioning um, Monty Williams keeping uh, Booker out uh, that six minute stretch in the first half of. Um, of game of game five, and then that in that six minute stretch, that's, that is when really when uh, Milwaukee started to um, take it, uh, really uh, you know got back in the game and and, and, and ended up getting the lead. Uh, when Booker, Booker left that game, I think they were up by thirteen. They were up by sixteen when he left when he left the game, um, and then when he came back, they were uh, they were only up by three. So this is within the same quarter, in that second quarter. So be interesting to see how many minutes does Booker play. I, if I'm Monty Williams, it's an elimination game. I like, I gotta play Booker anywhere from 44, 46 minutes, and you know, use halftime to rest him. Maybe use in the quarters to maybe rest him, like at the last two minutes of the first quarter, bring him back. You know. Within the ten a nine minute mark of the second quarter, you cannot go, you can't go longer than four or five. You can't go more than four minutes, four or more than four minutes without Booker being on the floor. And the like in this game, they will not, especially especially on the road. That crowd has been waiting again since like it was nineteen seventy one is a long time ago. Crowd has been waiting for fifty years. For this moment, they haven't been in a member. Uh, you know, we look at these franchises that came in the league at the same time. Both of them have a championship drought. Phoenix has never won a championship, but Phoenix has been in the finals twice since uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee's last championship. So Phoenix has been in the finals in '76. They were in the finals in '93 with that Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson led team. Uh, Milwaukee hasn't been in the finals since 1971. These those that that environment. Tomorrow night will be will be insane. I mean that 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 I could, that 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 stadium, that arena will be going nuts. Um, so they're gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how Monty Williams manages his timeouts. You can't you cannot allow big runs in this game. You can't allow the game to get away from you uh, early on. Like first quarter again, and this is where you know the Suns need you know the Suns needs to come out. 
in the first quarter and establish and knock Milwaukee back on their heels. They cannot play from behind in this game starting from the first quarter. They've been the stronger team in the beginning for whatever, for, for whatever reason. They've been the stronger team in the first quarter. That that has to play that 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 has to that has to play out tomorrow. If they want to have a chance to win this uh, to win that game. They cannot fall behind eight to ten points in the first quarter because it because the way the series has the series has played out, Milwaukee has gotten stronger, especially you know as the game has gone as the game has gone along. Um. So we'll see what happens from that standpoint. Um, Giannis's leadership. So. I've watched every press conference um, in regard in post game with interview in terms of Giannis with with Giannis. Why, of course, you know when you're watching the game, as close as I'm watching it on the court, looking to, looking at the body language, looking at his interaction with teammates, and you know his perspective in terms of this series, maybe even in terms of just even going beyond basketball, in terms of life, is exactly where you would want your best player to be or your best player to be at. Never too high, never too low, keeping everything in its proper perspective, staying encouraged, even after when they were down 2-0, staying upbeat, but being honest at the same time. Um... This is what, you know, we talk about the intangibles of, of what makes a franchise, a superstar, a number one guy. This is a part of it. These are intangibles that James Harden doesn't have. These are intangibles that Kyrie Irving does not have. These are intangibles that Anthony Davis does not have. Period. And that is what separates that a guy like Giannis from those other guys. Not so much the talent. Those guys are all the equally as talented as Giannis in their own way. Different types of talent. Uh, not as athletic, but in terms of skill, um, in terms of some of the things they can do offensively. And even Anthony Davis, even all around. I mean, I like I think I think Anthony Davis has more all around talent than Giannis for sure. I mean, in terms of what he can do. Uh, in terms of what, especially what he can do offensively, and he, he's probably as equal defensively. But you know what? You know what the difference is between those two, besides you know staying healthy, is mental, is is leadership, is mental. I mean, Giannis can lead a franchise. It's you know it's saying the right things. It's coming. It's the commitment to being a leader. And uh, Antetokounmpo is without question is committed to being a leader. He doesn't. And I'll throw Joel Embiid in that in that conversation as well. We saw Joel Embiid at the end of the series in Atlanta, basically throw along with Doc Rivers as well, but basically throw Ben Simmons under the bus. <laughs> like that's not what a leader does. It's not what a, that's not what a number one player does. That's not what a great player does. It's just something that you just don't do in a press conference, even with the season being over. So his leadership in this series throughout the course of these playoffs uh, has been has been a major to me a major factor in terms of where where Milwaukee's at right now. There were plenty of times over the course of these uh, course of these playoffs where the you know the ship was leaking and it could they could have easily went down, as we all know you know that Brooklyn series in particular. 
So that that is, you know, and again, I think we, I think Giannis is probably, you know, the up, you know, his upside. Um, we'll see again his upside, the his ceiling in terms of what he can be. Um, I think we're starting to scratch the surface, and we're starting to see what his ultimate potential is. And he's he's gotten better over the course of these playoffs. He's improved over the course of this series. If you really closely watch watch them, and I've mentioned on previous podcasts in regards to his decision making, his thinking the game through. He's not just dependent on pure athleticism. Um, you know, how many offensive fouls has he gotten over the course of this series or even throughout the playoffs? Not, not, it's not been that many when you compare it to the regular season or you compare it to the last couple of years. But, of course, with that being said, everybody doesn't uh, see Giannis as this great leader or see Giannis as that, you know, as uh, a, a transcendent player. I'm going to read you a Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie quote, not quote, but tweet uh, from yesterday. This is, this is what Spencer Dinwiddie said. Um, just a thought. Just thought of an interesting what if. Maybe at Marvel inspired me. Whoever maybe whoever at Marvel is, I, I don't don't know now where. Giannis is out for Game Six due to health and safety protocols. Close contact with with Thine, with with Thine's. Bucks still Bucks still win. Does does uh, does Chris Milton get Finals MVP? Now after being destroyed on social media on Twitter, he responds, "Let's not take this too serious." It was at it was a at Marvel inspired. What if Giannis deserves Giannis deserves Finals MVP if Bucks finish this thing? Which at that point the cat is out the bag. Like you can't. There's no backtracking on that. Um, to give you some context on that, Dinwiddie was pushing this Middleton and then somebody else too. It was Dinwiddie and um, who else? Um, damn, McCollum. CJ McCollum was pushing this. Uh, Chris Milton deserves MVP, Finals MVP consideration uh, kind of narrative after after Game 5. And it's like, what what are we talking about here? Like Giannis has clearly been the dominant player in this series. He's been by far the best player in this series. I mean, putting, he's, Giannis doing putting up historical numbers. Like, no player has ever averaged 30, 10, and 5 and shot 60% from the, from the field. Ever. No player has ever done that in the history of the NBA. So um, there's no question that he's the final would be the finals MVP if the Bucs uh, win this series. But it just goes to show you, and it's something that I picked up on a few weeks back with the anti-Giannis sentiment that, that is around the league amongst, amongst the players. And it goes beyond what the, the, the idiotic comment that James Harden made like last February, when in response to Giannis about the, you know, no, you know, I wish I was just seven foot and could just dunk, and that takes no skill. So there, there are a lot of players, more players than you think, that have that, that mindset, that you know, feel, feel that uh, think about Giannis, think about Giannis in that vein. There are more than you think, and you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, he Giannis is not a. Uh, it's not one of these guys that 
buddy buddy that's playing buddy buddy with with these guys in the offseason doesn't work out with him. There's a number of other reasons. He's you know he hangs with his brothers. That that is his entourage. Um, and it, um, that is his entourage. Um, which is fine. Uh, which is fine if you know if you're a player who has you know other people around you. I, I don't even care about that. But Giannis doesn't move like that. But um, you know this thing. You know it is a real thing. It is a real thing around the league. The anti-Giannis uh, amongst the players is the it's not just you know a player here, a player there. And when you see a quote, when you see a tweet like that. And I listen. Spencer Dinwiddie comes off as, uh, you know, a good guy. Uh, I don't know him personally. I don't, he's never been in any type of trouble, and he's he's a, he's a good player. He got hurt this year, but he's a pretty good player. But I, you know, I I didn't I wouldn't expect that to come from him in regards to Giannis. I know somebody wanted to bring up John Dad. Giannis got into it with one of his teammates from last year. Uh, I think Dante Hall is from on, in the bubble. So then it was a play where he, it was a foul, and Giannis got upset, and maybe that uh, whatever. But that was last in the bubble, so maybe that's a grudge that Dinwiddie is holding uh, towards Giannis. I don't, who knows? But that is that, that is you know something that you don't normally hear from another player about another player in regards to where you're. Some, I mean, you're trying so hard to push. A narrative that you would say that well, if he if he gets COVID or if he, if he gets so in COVID protocols, will uh, can well Chris Milton then be uh, a stronger candidate for Finals MVP? <laughs> My goodness! Which, by the way, and to answer that question, no. Even that, even if Giannis were uh, were out in Milwaukee, one he still would be the Finals MVP uh, in this series. So it, it, you know. It is what it is. Um, from that standpoint, uh, it, you know, if, if Milwaukee does wrap this thing up, boy, it's going to be you're going to hear a lot of um, you're going to hear a lot of crow being eaten by 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 by, by people in regards to Giannis. But you also going to get a lot of you know, this is one of the worst teams in Finals history. Uh, this championship, you know, injuries aided this championship. You hear a lot of that shit over the course. Uh, if, if that, if either one of these teams were to win it, you would, um, you probably would hear that. But and as far as Phoenix goes, listen, the series is far from. I said it, said it a couple of days ago. I'll reiterate it now. The series is far from over. This is three two. Now the odds are against stacked against Phoenix from a standpoint of. In the, in the history of the finals, teams down 3-2 on the road don't normally fare well, don't fare too well. I think that the record is something like 10 and 1 in there, 1-10, with their only, the only victory in the last, you know, 20 years or so uh, being is Detroit in the 05 finals against um, San Antonio when, when, uh, when, when, they, when they were up 3-2, uh, when they were down 3-2, they went to San Antonio. And, and lost, and um, they went to San Antonio and won, but again, lost in game seven. And of course, the format was different. The home team had the last two games, game six and seven at home. Phoenix does not have that luxury. Normally, I mean, we've seen teams come from 3 2 down, but normally we, we see that when they had the last two games at home. Uh, Lakers, you know, Lakers in 88 and 2000, and 
in 2010, saw it with Miami in 2013, saw it with Houston in 20 and 94. So that, I mean, it's not uncommon. It's not out. It's not outlandish to think someone could come, come, come from three, two down in the NBA finals. So we, uh, we've seen it before, but this one being down three, two on the road is a, is a, is a much steeper hill. Uh, steeper hill to climb uh, for the Phoenix Suns. But again, listen, all you got to do is win one game. You win one game and you have game seven at home. Um, you have game seven um, at home in your own building. Again, I, I picked Milwaukee in seven, but I do think tomorrow night will be their night, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think that crowd, I think they that sent the sense of urgency where they're at, the way this series has been trending. I mean, again, I think this will be a very close game. I, I would be shocked if it was a blowout. I think the series has tightened up. These last two games in particular have been close games, and I, I, I would not expect I, – I don't expect it to be any different come tomorrow night. I, I think this will that'll be a fourth quarter, anybody's game within, within the last five minutes. I really do – I really expect it to be that that type of game. A lot of heat being put on Chris Paul. Um, and it's kind of been – couple narratives with Chris Paul. It's been the he's injured narrative or and it's also been the basically Chris Paul has been terrible narrative. And I don't believe either one of those narratives to be accurate. I think Chris Paul overall in this series has been good. Has been pretty good. I don't think he's been great. But he's had, you know, he's had moments in this series. I mean, game one, I keep hearing about him not having this signature game. Game one was a signature game. That, that game, he was 32, basically like 32 and eight, played great, couldn't miss a shot, took over in the third quarter. In the second half, had 21 points. Uh, tw- I think he had 21 points in the second half. He That was a signature performance in that game, in that in the series for him. So you can't say that he has not had a signature performance in this series. Um, that That's just not accurate. But, as the series has worn, has has um, has gone has has gone along, there's no question that Drew Holiday has worn him down. And you also have to think about this: not only being guarded by Drew Holiday, but they Chris Paul is getting caught in switches uh, where he's guarding Giannis or matched up against Chris Milton. Both those players are bigger and stronger than him, and that takes you know in the post, especially in the post, that that takes something out of you. There's no two ways about it. Chris Paul is six, what, six foot, six feet, 185 pounds. You know, Middleton and Middleton's at least 225, 230, and Chris and Giannis is about 250. So they, they called Chris a number of switches. I mean, even too hard it's stronger than Chris Paul. We see him, him post up Paul and take advantage of his, uh, his size advantage he has over Chris Paul. So that to me has been the bigger reason why Chris Paul has kind of tailed off in this series. Again, he's not been terrible in this. He's not. He's not a bad series. Let, let, let's let's be let's be real fair about that. He's shooting. He's about twenty one and eight, and his split his shooting splits are actually have been great in terms of. Uh, he's he's over fifty percent from the field and fifty percent from three point range. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and fifty percent from the three point <clears throat> from three point range, but. He, um, over the last, I would say, the last three games, beginning in game, he had the bad game for um, game three. They, 
you know, listen, game three, all of everybody was bad in game three. And he actually shot well in game three, but that was the that was the Booker horrible performance in game three. That was they they just didn't play well in game three altogether and got spent and got, you know, destroyed by twenty. Um and of course he had the bad game four. And, you know, game five, I thought in game five didn't have the greatest first half, had a big fourth quarter. I thought he was okay in game five. I really did. I thought he was okay. I, I didn't think he was bad in game five. Um, but I think in terms I, I think what you need out of Chris Paul is I mean, you need you need a performance similar to a game some somewhere in between games one and two. You needed you need that type of performance. Um I, you know, you want him to be more aggressive in terms of taking more shots. You want him you want him taking anywhere from, you know, 17 to 22 shots or maybe you want him taking over 20 shots to be honest with you um but i again i don't know if he's capable of reaching that game one level considering where he's at physically and i'm not talking about i'm not even talking about the injury i'm just talking about as this series has worn as as the series has played you know has gone along having to guard having to um be a major part of the offense as well as having to uh, guard, you know, being switched on Drew Holiday, being switched on Giannis and Chris Milton. He's not getting any rest or not. He's not able to rest at any point in the game, um, to be honest with you. So, like, he's running the show on offense. He's having to guard on defense. So he's not, like, these, you know, he's, he's expending a lot of energy out there. There's no two ways about it. Um, as we've seen throughout the country, the Olympics, uh, COVID has picked picked back up, has picked back up, and definitely has has, has even impacted these finals. Um, you got a couple of people, Thanasis, uh, after the Kubo, of course, Giannis' brother was out with, in protocol. You've had uh, a couple of guys in the Olympics, you know, Bradley Bell and now Zach Levine being the latest who are out. Levine might return in a week uh, in terms of – and uh, Bill, I think, is out for the Olympics. But um, the series can't get over it with soon enough if you're the NBA. If you're the NBA, you want – as much as a Game 7 sounds good, you probably want to get the series to end tomorrow just so it's just so it doesn't play out to where, you know, you get to Thursday and somebody can miss a game because of – because of uh, COVID protocols or something like that. That would be a disaster uh, for, for an NBA to have somebody of, of, of any significance um, miss a, a, a game because, uh, because of COVID protocols. So I'm sure that the NBA, again, I'm sure that the NBA um, would not mind this series ending uh in uh ending tomorrow night in uh, milwaukee but again um again milwaukee has a couple coaches out along with the honest they don't even have their full coaching staff that were that are currently in um that are currently in protocols of course this weekend and of course lebron was at the game uh lebron was at the game game five at phoenix I'm not gonna make a big build, big deal of it. Um, we know how close he and Chris Paul are, but a little, it's a little strange to be, in essence, rooting for a team that knocked you out in the first round of the playoffs. They're just a li- little strange. Now, it's not, I'm not going crazy about it, but you know, 
found that found out curious. Um, Space Jam came out this weekend. Came out Friday on HBO on HBO Max, and certainly is out in the theaters as well. It's number one movie in America. Thirty-one, well over thirty million dollars. Thirty-one million dollars knocked out Black Widow. So kind of LeBron, LeBron can kind of, you know, respond to, you know, being uh, critics who um, who uh, destroyed the movie, and of course, and of course he did. With you know tweeting you know to the haters and tweeting the numbers, which is you know mm-hmm. which is fine. You know he can gloat uh, with the success of the movie. Listen, I'm not gonna get like I had zero expectations of the movie, just like I had zero expectations of the first Space Jam. They both, to me, are horrible movies. Um, and, but again, I say that from the standpoint of I had I had no expectations of the movies. I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna say it was the worst movie ever created, but you know, I wouldn't pay to see it. Put it to you that way, even though in essence I did kind of pay to see it, considering that uh, I have I am paying for you know cable in terms of HBO. So I kind of you know I didn't see it, didn't see it in the movie theaters. Kind of in you know in, in some ways I kind of kind of paid kind of paid to see it from that standpoint. Listen, I I think the big thing to me is beyond. Uh, the Jordan comparing Jordan Space Jam to LeBron James Space Jam is LeBron, the LeBron James piece of this from a standpoint of you want to be considered the greatest of all time and you remake a movie, remake Michael Jordan's movie. Space Jam is Michael Jordan's movie. So to me, if I'm trying to, you're trying, you're clearly trying to separate yourself from Jordan this year. He changed his number. He's going to to his number uh, to to a number that he wore in Miami, number six, a number that he's worn worn in practices throughout the course of his career. Um, if you followed it, followed him closely. So you're clearly trying to separate yourself from Jordan from that standpoint. Calling yourself the goat uh, came out of the documentary a couple of years ago about the 2017-2016 finals. He called himself the goat. I think that coming out, making a movie, a remake of Michael Jordan's movie, I don't think that's the greatest move in terms of wanting to separate yourself from Michael Jordan, um, to be honest with you. Uh, like, and it, it, it's funny, because the movie, listen, the movie's going to do well. Probably. The, the movie's cost like $150 million to, uh, in terms of, uh, to make. It's going to, it's going to go beyond that. It's going to be a highly successful movie, despite what the critics say about it. It is going to make a ton of money. It's a kids' movie. Everybody's going to go. Everybody's and their mother's going to tell. It's going to have their parents taking them to see it. So from that that standpoint, it's going to it's doing well. It's going to do well. But I don't understand. Like if I were advising, you know, if I'm part of the Bond James circle, I were advising them. We're kind of went against this. Uh, idea of trying to, in essence, outdo Michael Jordan in his own movie. Like I, I think that's why I think this. I, I clearly think this was. I clear. I think. I think there is a part of LeBron James that clearly wants you to compare this Space Jam to Michael Jordan Space Jam in terms of the numbers. In terms of it's certainly we. I mean, from a quality of film, we can't that. That would be just an idiotic comparison. 
Uh, I'm not saying Michael Jones is better. They both were about the same to me. I didn't like either one of them, and they both they both were horrible films. Um, if I'm being real about it, but I'm I'm saying from the standpoint of um, numbers are you know popularity things of that nature. LeBron could do a lot of things. I know he's, he has a production company. He's going. He's in. He's in Hollywood now. He's he could do a lot of things. Um, from a movie standpoint, he could do. And if he wants to come out with a family film, he could do a cartoon. He could do a lot of things that outside of could have done a lot of things outside of this in regards to Space Jam. And he mentioned something that was I found interesting. He said that you know to be a part of this legacy. I'm like, like this is not like Space Jam is not the Godfather. Like, <laughs> a part of what legacy? The, the film has had. They had one film come out. <laughs> prior to this. this is one Space Jam. It's like, he, you know, he's speaking about it as if this is this classic movie tradition, like National, like like uh, the Godfather or like National Lampoons or something, something to that ilk, something like that. That's uh, like or Fast and the Furious. Like, no, this is not what Space Jam is. No one thinks of Space Jam as a historical legacy franchise in terms of the history of uh, of, movie, of cinema. Like no one, no one holds space, puts Space Jam in that uh, thinks of Space Jam in that vein at all. Um, the best thing LeBron James has done to separate himself from Michael Jordan. I'm not saying he's better than Jordan in terms of the goat, but in terms of um, being different is the. The, the work that he's done with the social uh, social injustice, the voting rights, the uh, you know building a school that 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 is stuff. Now again, I don't. A lot of people will count that and try to like combine that and say, well, that makes him a go because George is not that has not been that socially active and things of that nature. I don't. I'm not one of those people. But if you're trying to be different, if you're trying to morph beyond the the Michael Jordan shadow or the michael jordan aura that has been that has been to me by far and his way by far and away his the most effective thing that he's done from that standpoint easily making another space jam no that that was not that's not to me that's not going to get you uh people are not going to be saying you're the goat because they like space jam your space jam better than michael jordan space jam like i, I don't see how that you know <laughs> how that's going to get you uh, gold points. And that's what clearly where, where LeBron James is at right now. He, he is trying to manufacture his way. And it's been, it's been this way for about the last four or five years. It started with that with that ESPN little doc they did on the 2017-16 finals. It started with that. So for the last four to five years, LeBron, and he's had comments, tweets, you know, never played on the super team. I uh, won two of the toughest championships ever. So he's kind of he's 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 building this, he's building his own case and beyond just what he does on the court for him being the greatest greatest player of all time. Even through the promotion of this movie, he had the the rabbit and the goat. If you if you paid attention to the to the trailers and, and things of that nature, so we we know we see what's going on here. And again, I and again, I don't think that's the way to, you know, if somebody if someone thinks you're the goat. Then they'll say it. If fans think it, media, they'll say it. I, I don't think that is the way to get to become considered to be the greatest of all time by by trying to, you know, basically run a campaign. And that's what he's done. So again, 
listen, I, I'm not going to tell you not to go see the movie. I mean, it depends on what your expectations are. You have zero expectations. Yeah, sure. Go see, go, go see it. You, if your kids want to go see it, take the kids. Fine. You know, make it. A, I know there were a lot of there were a lot of family movie nights that were made out of it. Great. That's cool. That's that's, that's perfectly fine. Um, but I don't go. Don't watch the movie with ex with, with film or cinema expectations. And then then you're gonna disappoint yourself. But anything else, you want to watch it for fun or just because you're curious, uh, just pure curiosity. Then so be it. <coughs> the last, so we're done with the. Uh, excuse me. We're done with the golfing. Golf's major season is wrapped up. Of course, the you know the schedule switched a couple of years ago. We, where it used to be the British Open, now is the last major win for years. It, in previous years, it had been the PGA Championship, which you know I think I kind of think it makes sense to have the British Open, the the last major. Um, I think probably outside the uh, Masters, the British Open is the most respected and prestigious of the four majors, and we and Colin Morocca Morocca is the new British Open champion. Uh, of course, he didn't have one last year because of COVID. Um, he, this is his second major. He's only, what, 24 years old. Um, he is, has all the makings uh, of a superstar of the next great big-time golfer. Um, second win in eight major stars that you see on the screen. This is his, he's the first golfer in history to win a major to win a major at his day at, at in his debut. So this was his first British Open. This was his first British Open. He wins it last year. He won the PGA Championship in his debut as well. So that is, you're talking historical stuff. Um, when you when you start talking about uh, what he's doing right now at such a young age, um, he finished this year uh, with. Three top four finishes, three top ten finishes in the majors. His lowest finish was a tie for 18th at the uh, Masters. Um, yeah, at the Masters. So this was, or no, maybe at the that was at the um, at the P. That might have been at the PGA. So that might have been at the uh, PGA. I think PGA you had the PGA last it was the last or U.S. Open. So U.S. Open was fourth. The PGA was the first one, the Masters was the second one. So he was, okay, there you go. So tied for 18th. He was tied for 18th at the Masters, tied for 8th at the PGA, tied for 4th at the U.S. Open. So he's had a big-time year. Um, the question would be, and again, I, I, I watched the second, I watched a lot of this on the weekend, didn't, didn't see too much of it on Thursday and Friday. Saw some of it, but watched a lot of it over the course, over the course of the weekend. Um the question to me is, will he be uh, Roy McIlroy or will he be Nick Faldo, Lee Trevino, all Palmer in terms of major wins? Uh, Roy McIlroy has won four majors, but hasn't won a major remarkably since 2014. Roy McIlroy, I think, is only like 32, so he's still relatively young. Won all his majors at a, at a very young age in his early 20s and looked like Roy McIlroy was on his way to, to winning 8 to 10 to 12 majors. He has not just is really one of the most, it has not really been reported like that. I think there's so many 
great players in the sport right now that that storyline is kind of getting lost at Roy McIlroy as top one um, since 2014. So I think with this guy, that again, will he be that or will he be a player who wins six or seven, six to ten majors or eight to ten majors? Um, I'm, I'm very impressed with his demeanor, demeanor as far as his handling of the media, said all the right things. He, his game is something to where it's, you know, aim small, miss small, miss small, miss small. It's like, uh, it's the best way to describe it. And it's like he he doesn't overwhelm you physically with great power. He's not, I think mean, he's clearly talented, but I like I don't think he's one of these guys who has this prodigious talent like Phil Mickelson or John Daly or Tiger Woods. I don't think he's on that level from a talent standpoint. But in you know it's interesting with golf. Golf is such a a a, a mental sport that you know is is the guys that win the most majors, the guys that that, that are constantly in these in these tournaments, like a Brooke Kepka, uh, you know who's who has you know just who seemingly who kept Brooks Kepka, who seemingly is gonna is is, is a guarantee to finish in the top ten in a major. He just routinely has in the last three or four years. Is those guys don't make the big mistakes. Those guys don't beat themselves. And if you're a guy that doesn't beat himself, you will find your way, find yourself on the right side of these majors, either with a top five finish or just outright winning, winning them, winning them. Now, it's going to be challenging for him. I, I don't think any one player is going to dominate the sport. It's too hard. It's too hard because the competition, there are too many great players in golf right now. The field is deeper than it's ever been. I mean, there are a number of guys who, I mean, who are in their primes, in their 20s. And even, you know, somebody said something, uh, Louis Uhazen, you know, who led, who led the tournament for, uh, for three rounds and, again, and was getting, got destroyed for not, you know, coming out on top. Um, you know, they were saying, you know, you, they have people talking about him as if he's done. He's 38 years old. That's not, that's not particularly old for a golfer. Like you, I mean, Phil Mickelson just won basically a, a major, a one, one uh, PJ tournament at the age of 50. So he has time left, but there are so many top players and the field is so deep that, um, I don't see any one player dominating the sport. But uh, it's still something to be said to, to finish to finish um, in, a, in, a, in a top three in a major. Um, and getting back, getting to to um, more more uh, Morocco before I get to Ustaz and, and, and Kepka. Morocco again has the type of game to me that I can see him running off like five majors in in ten years. Like I, I could see that type of run, five, eight, five majors in seven years, five majors in eight years. I could see him having that type of run. Like if you tell me at the age of thirty, and I'll be like six years from now, at the age of thirty, that he has six majors, I would not. It would not. Wouldn't least bit surprise me. I think he'll have at least four majors by the time he's by the age of thirty. But again, it's harder now than it's ever been to win a major tournament. 
Like it really is. It, the field is there are a number of talented guys. Uh and they're just they're guys that are just, you know, that you know, when we come when we get to our next next major, which is the Masters next April, uh there'll be another someone someone in their mid to late twenties that's emerged that that would have emerged that we haven't even been that we've barely heard of. That's how quick these players, these players in golf uh, you know, become great players as far as uh, that's how much talent there is in the, in, in the golf pool right now. Uh, Jordan Spieth, uh getting back to, seems to be getting back to form. He um, finished, well, finished in uh, second place, um, had uh, had a couple of top three major finishes this year. So, you know, wouldn't be surprised if he won a major next year. Uh, I already talked about Kepka. Who stays in? Who, uh, who stays in? Again, this guy has. I, you can't call him a bridesmaid because he has won a major. So you can't call him a bridesmaid. But um, six, you know, for now for his career, I mean, he had he finished third, but came on coming into this tournament, he had you know six uh, runner-ups, which you know just shows you that he's always you know always in contention. This year he finishes with three top three finishes in majors. Listen, that's a big time year. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what anybody says. You finish in the top three in the major. You finish in the top three of three of the four majors. That That is a great year. I, I think golf is a sport, is the rare sport similar to baseball where fail where failure is rewarded, where you don't have to win and it, could, you, it still can be, can be considered a big deal even if you don't win. Like they had, that's why they say top five finishes or top ten finishes is not, or runner ups. You know, baseball similar to baseball is like you know you hit if you fail seventy percent of the time, you're a three hundred hitter. You can end up end up in the Hall of Fame. So golf is that rare sport where failure is somewhat it can be somewhat rewarded. So you know, Usain is still a, you know still a top player. Um, not I, I would not dismiss him as not being able to win a major, another major in the future, uh, in in 2022. Because you know he's kind of in golf. You, you know, Jack Nich- Jack Nicholas, who has the most majors, his greatest achievement might not be on the 18 majors. Is the fact that he was he finished with 19 runner up second place finishes. He was always in contention, and that's where you want to be as a golfer. You always want to be in contention. Right there, knocking on the door, um, um, because it's so hard to win. It's so hard to win to win a tournament in the sport of golf. So hard to win. So you had that going on with the uh, British Open. That's going to wrap up. That's going to wrap up the uh, Grand Slam season. Now you'll get into uh, some Ryder Cup, some Ryder Cup, some you know, some FedEx playoff. That type that uh, that type of deal. A couple things, a couple of real thoughts before I let you go. Um, Damian Lillard came out. Um, last week, I think it was Friday, we had a press conference talking about his future and talking about all the speculation that has been running rampant over the course of the summer on the internet and on the internet and, and, and things of that nature. What I took from it is this. Number one, um, he's not happy with what the or, with what the organization has done as far as putting putting together a championship team over the course of, uh, of his career. That's number one. And he's at, he's at his boiling point, boiling point, as far as saying, like, 
they basically called out Neil O'Shea, general manager, saying that like who who when he was asked, you know, Neil O'Shea said, "Hey, you know, all we need is you know, you got Chauncey in here. We'll focus on some defense. We had the personnel here to compete for, to compete, and to be a contender." And and Lillard basically shut that down, saying that currently constructed this roster, this our roster is not a championship contender. And he's absolutely right. They're not. That's currently constructed. Uh, what moves that they would pull off in the offseason, we'll see. I don't see any move that they could make that's going to make them a contender without, that's going to make them a contender. But he basically, and he did it in a way that was polite and PC, but you understood the message, the subliminal message that he was trying to send. Like, he basically said, look, I'm on board until I'm not on board. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to demand a trade right now, but it's not out of, it won't be out of the possibility, the realms of possibility. <laughs> like that, that's what I took from that press conference. And again, I know you said at the end of the press conference, I expect to be in the Portland Trouble's uniform uh, beginning, you know, next season. But, you know, I, I don't, you know, what else is he going to say? I, again, I think that's the, that's the politically correct part that, um, that he was trying to maintain um, from that standpoint. But uh, to me, the message was clear that he is not happy with that current, with that, with, with their, with their current situation. And I, I frankly, for myself, don't do not expect Damian Lillard to be on the Portland Trailblazers. And to me, by far and away, their best option would be to trade him. You can get, you could, you could rack up, and get a lot for him right now. He's a top 10 player. He has a lot. Of, he has like four years left on his contract. Those guys don't come along that often. It's great. And in his, he is in his prime right now. So you can get a lot for Damian Lillard right now. I think now is the perfect time. You're not going to be a contender next year with him. Now is the perfect time to move him before he outright comes out and makes a demand and puts you in a situation where you have to move him and then another team, then teams could take advantage of that and say, hey, and, and give you, instead of giving you, you know, 110 cents on the dollar, give you about 80, 85, 85 cents on the dollar, which will happen if, 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 if they don't move him, if they don't move him sooner than later. Uh, Raising Canaan came on last night or, you know, early Sunday, early, late Saturday, early Sunday morning. Um, I had to say, I, I was impressed with it. Um, the three primary characters, we have Kanan's mother, young Kanan, of course, Kanan and, and, and Jukebox, those actors, those actors really had me like believe it. I believe the characters with those three actors, with those three actors, especially the actress, uh, I think her name is Panina, Panina Miller, um, that's Kanan's mom. She, she was tremendous in that episode. Throughout the throughout the entire episode, so again with, with power, we noticed that we can poke holes in the storyline and, and the plot, so we're blue in the face. But do the thing that power has done over the course of the last seven years is it has you you're connected with the characters, you you care about the characters, you believe the characters, and I think through again it's only one episode. I believe these, I believe those three primary characters. And by the way, a good villain, the dude, unique, the drug dealer, unique, good villain. Uh, I, I like him as a villain. So, um, 
I think I think they you know I think they I think that they will have um have a chance to have a hit on their hands. Um, they immediately got into it. Uh, they immediately got into it with Kanan um, in regards to how he became, who he became, and why he became who he became. So, uh, you know, I'm here for it. Uh, this first season, we have a, they've already got improved in the second season, and um, they probably, you know, they they probably could do three or four seasons of this because you have to think that he's 15 right now. I wonder how far they would push this. Uh, of course, ratings depend. It's going to depend on the numbers, things of that nature, uh, the popularity of the show. But right now, power. Listen, power is in its utopia right now. As far as power is winning, uh, all around. Like if people cannot get enough of power, uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. If people hate Tyreek, people people are obsessed with power. The show Power. Any uh, so it's. It'll be interesting to see how people receive it once more power sequels, not sequels, but more more power spinoffs come out. Because remember, you have you uh, you have season two of, of Power Book Two goes with with, with uh, Tariq with Michael Rainey Jr. That's coming out in November. Then next early next next year, you have Force coming out with Tommy, and of course you have the uh, the political one with Lorenz Tate's. Uh, character coming out. So I think I wonder how will all those coming out kind of take away from what they take away from each other. So I guess that was that's going to depend on how 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 they space them out. Um, and lastly, uh, of course, the Pop Smoke album came out Friday. Uh, great album, certainly in the conversation of, of album of hip hop album of the year without question, right there with Tyler the Creator. I would lean towards Tyler the Creator's album. By a nose, but definitely, certainly up there. Here's what I say: um, I would put Pop Smoke in the category of of Biggie and Tupac and uh, Nipsey in that cat from the standpoint of what could have been, even more so, to, even more so Biggie um, and Nipsey in terms in terms of. What could in terms of what could have been as, as far as uh, what they would have, what could they have been as far as as they evolved and as far as their careers uh, continued as they continued to make music. I, the reason I don't put say say that with Tupac is because I think Tupac was headed towards was would have continued to make music, but I think too I, I think Tupac had reached his apex as a musician. I don't think Tupac was going to become a, a better rapper. I think we had seen. I think we had finally, frankly, seen the best of Tupac the rapper. But Tupac, the actor, that could have been a guy that could have been a, you know, that he was a great actor, to say the least. He, it, Tupac, the actor, could have been a Tupac, the, in, on theater, Tupac, the, you know, he could have been, the sky's, the sky's the limit, would have been a limit for him from that standpoint. So that's where I think we, we would we miss, from an artistic standpoint, where we would miss Tupac the most. But, I, but Pop Smoke, um, I, I think... I think he's a combination of Tupac. I think he's a combination of Nas. And I'm not again. I'm not comparing him lyrically to Nas. So let me let me stop. Let me shut that down before you know before you go crazy. The reason I compare him to Nas is his perspective on life. That's not the guy is 20 years old. That's not when I hear some when I hear Pop Smoke. I don't hear a 20 year old rapper. 
hear a guy who sounds like he's lived, you know, sounds like he's 20 going on 35 or 20 going on 40. Just his perspective, his thoughts, you know, his thought process is uh, something to, uh, you know, really stands out. And it is it's really something that is really, really introspective. Um, with this, I mean, maybe it would always be music, but with this, especially with this particular album, it really stood out. And I think I think I compare him to Tupac because I think he has Tupac vulnerability. So I think he has I think he has pieces of those two artists. Not saying that he's on the level of those two artists, of course, can't say that after you know after such a short career. Um, but uh, it, he really could have been one of all. He, could, he really could have been one of the all-time greats. I mean, he really could have been one of the biggest stars in in, in hip hop without question. Um, and he was he was on his way. Like he, he could like you think. Like I said, I, you know Nipsey, uh, Biggie. You know we, those are two guys that 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 kind of that, that kind of. Uh, I compare them to in terms of in terms of what could have been uh, had they you know had those had they not been you know tragically killed uh, tragically murdered and lives cut short. That's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. Uh, this episode will be up sometime Tuesday morning. As always, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, click the like button. Click the like button or dislike button. Comment. Subscribe. I appreciate all the support. I will be putting this up again as soon as possible. Have a great, great rest of your evening, or I should say now, maybe early morning. I'm out.